Hi, and welcome to the Let's Talk Healthy Pets podcast. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, Dr. Mercola's Chief Wellness Veterinary Consultant, and I'm excited to share with you the latest news about pet health to guide you in keeping your animal companions healthy, comfortable, and happy throughout their lives. My goal as a proactive vet is to empower pet owners to make knowledgeable decisions to extend the lifespan and well-being of their animals. If you're looking for more pet health tips, you can also subscribe to my free daily newsletter at healthypets.mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy today's podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and I have a fantastic guest today. I have Nikki Tudge, who started the Pet Professional Guild, among many other very worthwhile endeavors. Welcome, Nikki, and thank you for um, being interviewed today. I have a lot of great questions for you. Oh, you're so welcome. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. So exciting. So back up and tell me, uh, you're doing a lot for not just the dog space, for uh, building relationships with uh, pets in general, which is amazing. But let's start with the Pet Professional Guild. When, when did, when and why did that organization come about? It's a pretty great story. Oh well, I've been involved in the industry um, since I think. Well, I've been training dogs as a hobby since about two thousand and two, and then in two thousand and six, we actually moved to another state, and we bought an animal hospital and a pet resort. And I was actually in a large box office store one Friday afternoon buying supplies for our pet resort. And I watched a trainer in this large box office store um, literally choking the dog because it was reacting to other dogs. And I was just absolutely horrified. Yeah. And I, 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 so I went to find a manager and the manager said, well, I don't know what they're doing. I'm not a trainer, but I know she's one of our trainers and they're working according to our protocols, which I actually knew was not accurate because I've seen the training manuals for this large organization because one of my own dogsmiths used to work for them. Yep. So I, I said, look, that's not actually accurate and I'm not sure what's going on, but he said, well, they're running a reactive dog class. Well, first, so first and foremost, why are they doing that inside a store with public people? And secondly, what they're doing is not in any way going to um, modify this behavior positively. And the manager just refused to sort of dialogue with me. And I actually left the shopping cart, which had several hundred dollars worth of equipment in there, walked outside and just burst into tears. And my husband, who I've been married, at the time, we married for 25 years, we've been married for, I don't know, what, 19 years. And I think in 19 years, he'd seen me cry like three times. So he thought, oh my God, what's happened? And he came charging across the parking lot. And I said, I just can't believe how helpless I am. I can't believe that that this is allowed to happen. This dog is screaming, it's terrified. And I got home that night and and I just sort of sat there and thought, wow, how how can this not only take place, but take place in such a large organization? And with people just passing by thinking this is absolutely okay. So um, I had been training for a few years, but I wasn't really, I was a member of a couple of the associations, but I wasn't really, I didn't sort of put myself out there. I was very much going through my own learning curve, trying to understand where I sort of fitted into the industry. And I'd come from a very sort of formal corporate environment and I sort of struggled with some of the, um, in some areas, some of the sort of lack of professionalism with how we we, we dealt with each other, dealt, you know, how we sort of handled each other. So, um, I said to my husband, wouldn't it be just absolutely perfect if, I'm sure there's thousands of other people that feel the same way I do, wouldn't it be ideal if we could sort of create some kind of platform so everybody can come together and then we have a much louder voice. And that voice doesn't have to be an extreme voice, doesn't have to be a critical voice, it just has to be a, here's the science, here's the facts, here's the ethics, which is where we really should be taking this industry in this, in this era. So he said, well then just do it. 
So I, I, I sort of said, well, okay. And, and I've, you know, I mean, I do have a lot of corporate experience and I have a lot of marketing experience and business experience. So the actual setting up the business and doing that was not really um, particularly intimidating for me, but it was intimidating because I was suddenly having to put my head out in an, in an environment where it was very much kind of a whack-a-mole type environment, where if you said something that someone else didn't necessarily agree with, yep. what, you know, I mean, yep. down, down it came. Yep. So I realized really quickly that I had to, put, I had to surround myself with people that, were professional that had integrity that could sort of have the same vision and that were able to give each other the support that would sort of immune you know give us some um protection against what yeah. we felt was going to come forth yep so i i approached a few friends and um not really friends because um they're sort of more not even really colleagues just people that i'd observed and watched over the over the years on social media i thought they always handled themselves quite professionally and they seemed fairly experienced they've been to good schools and they just immediately said yes um and at the time we owned the animal hospital and pet resort and our general manager we were going through a sort of a slump in business it was we just bought it so i asked her if sort of as part of her job she could you know process some of the applications when they came in and i think it was in week two uh, i went down into her office and the desk was just piled and i was like what, what the heck are you doing and she goes these are all the applications you gave me wow because they were all coming in sort of via email and pdf wow like, yeah so i just went oh okay this is this is going to need a little bit of financial investment we need to expedite the sort of the transition curve on this um and that and it just took off because i think people I, I, there was a lot of there was also a lot of um hesitation because a lot of people had tried to do something similar but it, and it hadn't succeeded because i think they'd gone at it sort of trying to sort of smack people over the head with information mm -hmm. yep and PPG does have unwavering guiding principles, and we do have what we call non-negotiables, which we just feel are not on the table. They just, you know, they just shouldn't be employed or used. Um, but we also feel with when you're dealing with professionals, you've got to allow them professional autonomy. They've got to be able to decide how they run the business and how they train. But I, but I do think you can put some parameters in place that say, well, you can do all of that without having to physically harm a pet, or without having to scream or shout or kick or choke or you know shock a pet. And obviously, a lot of other people felt the same way. So my gosh! And so, so how many members do you have now, Nikki? Um, I think we're about 8,000 between all the different chapters and the different levels. Um, and obviously membership comes and goes. People, sure. I mean, not in any organization. Sure. Um, and I think we have, I think there's a lot of people that also support PPG through our Shock Free Coalition, but aren't necessarily members. So it's, it's difficult to put a number on it. But yeah, I mean, there's lots of people that feel the same way and feel that, um, I mean, hopefully we, as well as having our sort of mission, vision and values, I mean, hopefully we provide substantive value to membership because we do For provide sure. free webinars and handouts and all kinds of other things. Because as someone coming into this industry that has a business background, I recognize that a lot of dog trainers were leaving the industry or were failing. And it wasn't because they didn't have the experience or the skills, it's because they just didn't understand or didn't or felt helpless in terms of yeah. implementing, managing and um, having a thriving business. And it, was, it broke my heart every time someone yeah. said, I'm not renewing my membership because I'm just not able to make a living out of this. And I was like, oh my mm. God, you can, you absolutely can. Um, but very few people have all the skills, don't they? Which dog trainers right. required to be dog trainers and public relations people and marketeers and financial experts and be able to train people. Yep. And that, that requires a lot of skills. 
Well, and it's not unlike veterinary medicine where veterinarians graduate and we know a little bit about medicine upon graduation, right. but really not enough about business and certainly right. little, if anything, about training. Veterinarians have beautiful hearts, but they are not, we are not trainers. And you probably have yeah. seen that over and yeah. over and yeah. over. Yeah. And veterinarians, I believe, really should be in that first line of defense, not to gather enough training skills because we're mm -hmm. overwhelmed being veterinarians, but to be able to refer to mm -hmm. trainers that above of all will do no harm Absolutely. I mean I think that that's Absolutely. really our role as veterinarians is to make sure that who we are referring to we we know what their foundational core mm -hmm. principles are in terms of training methods and techniques and how they right. approach uh, behavior right. problems because right. that really is making or breaking points for our patients coming back in a year mm -hmm. better grounded more balanced better trust better relationships or our clients coming back and saying, oh, we dropped that one off at the pound and got a new one. And we see that yeah. this revolving door pet thing in veterinary medicine all the time. And the missing piece, of course, mm -hmm. is directing people to build relationships with their animals versus neurotically trying to control them. And it's yeah. hard because veterinarians have a piece in that that I think is still missing. So Nikki, mm -hmm. talk to me about the, those core principles that set your organization those non-negotiables that set your organization apart from some of the other dog training organizations? Okay. Um, well, I think, first of all, I mean, I wrote the guiding principles sitting on a sofa. It was like two o'clock in the morning. And I, I wanted to put some guidelines in place that were, um, that were different, that were groundbreaking, but, but, but there were also, I'm not a believer in putting a policy in place if, if it's not enforceable, either because it's unrealistic or because the reality is you're just not going to be able to enforce it. So what, after, we, after I wrote the guiding principles, obviously there was a vision, mission, and, and value. And the guiding principles were written in terms of how do we behave towards animals, how do we behave towards our industry, and then how do we behave towards our customers. And um, really sort of taking into consideration as well that this whole concept of informed consent, that we have to recognize that our, our direct clients can't give us informed consent like a human can. Therefore we have to enable the, the, the pet's owner to be able to do that. And if they can't do it because they're lacking in the education to make an informed decision, we've got to be able to provide that education for them. So it, it seemed quite simple. And, and, and I'm just going to digress a little bit because a lot of people say to me, well, why don't you say no this or no that? Because these also cause harm. And, I, and I, as, as sometimes I can be a little bit facetious and I say, well, a clicker can cause harm if I shove it in your eye. Mm -hmm. Or a leash can cause harm if I tighten a knot round your neck and hang you from it but that's not what those things are designed to do so like with any product or, or service if you don't use it in the manner in which it's been designed then yes it can be ineffective at best and dangerous at worst so i thought okay what what are the key pieces of equipment that are designed by design will inflict harm so choke pronged and shock that that's the function of those pieces of equipment um, in terms of equipment. And then in terms of philosophical approach, it was sort of the no, 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 no pain, no force, no fear, because that then says, look, even if you don't use this piece of equipment, you, philosophically, we shouldn't be approaching a training scenario where we're going in there saying it will be, you will do or else. Because, you know, even with our husbands or children or colleagues, that's just not how we're going to foster good relationships. I mean, yep. it's, you know, it's just not. So it, so it seems to make sense to say um, no shock, no prong, no choke, no pain, no, for, no force, no fear. And, um, and like any organization, we made the mistake of not actually defining 
what um we know it's all right saying well we're forced free or we're fear free or whatever but you've got to have some shared meaning around what that actually means so what's the definition so and after about 12 months a fairly well well a, a very esteemed trainer actually reached out to me and said well I'm thinking of joining, but what does um, no force actually mean? And I thought, that's a really good question. Because if, if I asked 20 people to write that down, they'd all come back with a completely different answer. And, and as, you know, as people that work with behavior, we always say don't label behavior. You know, we have to have an operant definition. What, is, what does this behavior actually look like? What is the dog actually doing? So I thought, okay, we need to have a definition. So I actually tasked um, my husband, because he's pretty good with words and is having worked for the government he's he's got a sort of bureaucracy and researching <laughs> and uh and he came back and said it's a really tough one because even the u.s legal system has a problem defining force hmm. so um so we had to define it as in you know any approach that causes physical or emotional fear um, with the intent of, of damaging um, because as we as we know i mean we, we see trainers every day that, that i mean you know, you probably see it in your field who say, well, yeah, I'm a positive reinforcement trainer. And they might be operantly using a clicker and treats, but if their demeanor is aggressive or their vocal commands are aggressive or the dog doesn't have any choice and there's no consent testing, then you might operantly be using a positive reinforcement protocol. But the entire environment's not really very pleasant yeah. for the dog. So, so in some cases, people think they're doing something when actually the byproducts or the unintended consequences are well, you might be getting a sit using a clicker and treats, but from a Pavlovian perspective, this dog really, given the choice, wouldn't choose to be here interacting with you, yep. that they'd probably be somewhere else. So when you set, when you set your organization up based on having clear boundaries mm -hmm. that are kind, positive, uh, and, and relationship-centered, Yeah. I can only imagine, I can, I did one Facebook live two years ago with mm -hmm. Susan Garrett where we laid out different collars yeah. and we just had a basic conversation yeah. about as a veterinarian, you know, what, and of course we had ch shock on the end and yeah. e-collar, let me just tell you, I, I've had physical death, I was unfriended by a thousand people and I had physical death threats. I mean, people, people, this is no joke topic that sparks rage in oh. a lot of people well the we, we did a survey last year because we felt with our shock free coalition to be effect to effectively market this to people working with a pr company in california we need to really understand what does it mean to people what do they think of them do they how educated are they what are the hot buttons and when we put that survey into the marketplace, you know, went with the university in Texas, and Dr. Nathan Hall and I were just like, oh, we had, I mean, I, 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 had a feel, I had a feeling what was coming. I don't think Nathan did. I mean, he said afterwards, oh my God. Um, I mean, I had death threats both by email and um, left on my personal cell phone. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it does. It, 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 it's, um, it's a very um, emotional topic. Yes. Extremely yeah. emotional topic for people. Yeah. I just, I, I just wish people could harness that emotion into some sort of really sort of science-based, you know, d discussion rather than um, threatening people. It's, uh, and, but don't you think part of that is because anyone can kind of call themselves a trainer and yeah. if this is the way the grandpa trained and the way their, their daddy trained and this is what they are taught to do, you're up against um, trying to educate the uneducated and that's a tough call right. especially if they've been doing it uh, you know th those those techniques absolutely get results yeah it's hard to convince people 
possibly otherwise, which is really, a you have an uphill battle. How are you approaching? Um, I got so frustrated after that Facebook Live. I ended up thinking at some point, mm -hmm. all of these abusive trainers are going to die off and we will uh, bring up a generation of cognizant intelligent science-based trainers um, that understand these issues but uh, that is really not a feasible approach um, waiting for die off or attrition to occur so how are you how are you approaching this <laughs> well I I, I, I I truly believe I think well first of all and um, trying to attract the less experienced younger people into the organization and we have a provisional membership level which doesn't give you access to um, direct listings and things like that because we're not sure we want the public reaching out to you yep, yep. But, it's, but it's where somebody says look philosophically I, I I agree but I'm not really sure I have the skills because to you know to be a good science-based ethical trainer you've got to have good skills and knowledge because yep. it's not just about brute force and suppressing behavior it's about understanding applied behavior analysis and how that works and also understanding the, 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 the trainee in front of you we also are looking at the attrition-based system because we actually have a junior membership with PPG. There's three levels starting at the age of 12. Nice. Yeah, and it, and it gives them their own study guide and their own little test and they can get credentialed and we give grants out for community programs and projects because the thought is that we need to, anyone that has sort of an affiliation towards joining our industry, we need to sort of be able to shape their behavior. So, um, so great. Yeah. So we implemented that last year and obviously just lots and lots of outreach, but as an industry, we, I mean, we don't do ourselves any favors. I mean, when I sort of, I do a lot of lurking on social media because I don't like to get pulled into discussions on social media where somebody clearly is not out for a discussion. They're just out to sort of force their opinions down your throat. Yeah. And, and for, I mean, we, we too readily take the bait. We engage in these discussions where there really isn't any ability to sort of dig deeper on these topics. We tend to throw stones rather than um, encourage people into, well, what, you know, what you could be doing. And it, we're all very good with our animals about saying, okay, well, I'm not sure that behavior is a bit of a problem for me. So let me define what I would actually like my dog to do instead. Because once I've got that definition, the rest of it's easy. I can train that. So we need to apply that same principle to when we're dealing with people rather than sort of being pulled into their spin. It's like, well, what are you currently doing? What would you like the dog to do? And then being able to show them an alternative way. Right now, PPG is working on three standard operating procedures, one for boundary training, one for recall, and one for no bark. Because we can't expect Joe Public to not buy electronic fences or not yep. buy shock collars if we don't provide an alternative yep. to them. You can't just tell somebody, no, you're a fool, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Um, you, you've got to be able to you've got to be able to engage them first and foremost, which you don't do when you insult people. And then secondly, you've got to be able to show them and give them some options that are feasible, affordable for them. And so, so that that's fantastic. So you're offering replacement solutions that are kinder, nicer, and certainly more effective. Yeah. That's fantastic. You have a junior program for young people, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then, do do trainers go through an accreditation process? How does that work? No. Or how? Yeah, that's a really good question. When we first started PPG, um, the goal was to create an association of people that were like-minded, that would offer support, give good business tools, give them handouts and access to education. Um, and it wasn't based on their level of knowledge or skills or the competency. It was based purely on philosophically, if you agree, yep. come on in, let's, let's all get together. 
and then in 2000 and I think it was um, 14 or 15 we people we started people started asking us about credentialing program and that's something that I've never been involved in before so we actually reached out to an examination uh, an external company and it was really expensive and we put together the pet professional accreditation board that offers three levels of credential from canine trainer to professional canine trainer to behavior consultant. And each level has a test for knowledge, test for skills, and test for teaching ability, um, people handling. And we did that because um, I, for several years, I'd asked the CCPDT if at some point they would sort of draw a line. And, and that, that, they said that that wasn't their business model, which is absolutely fine. Um, but but I, I, I let my CCPDT qualification expire because, um, number one, um, having, holding all these qualifications can get really expensive really quickly. Yes. And, and two, I, I had a problem with my name being on any website when it was potentially sandwiched between a leading franchise of people that only use shot collars. Yep. And um, particularly if you want to start getting involved in conversations such as Lima, um, which I'm not a fan of. Um, I, I have alternative models that I would rather use. Um, because I think it misleads. I think, I think one of my hot buttons ultimately is about transparency. And um, we put a book out last year, which is a, what we believe is the right model for our industry going forward. So it has 10 chapters and each chapter covers a topic and then it all accumulates with this is what we believe the model should be for oversight of our industry. And obviously it requires ethics, it requires competence, it requires continued education, it requires um, oversight like the medical industry, like the sort of um, mental health industry. But it's also done through non-profits with government involvement, but also the involvement of a behaviorist, rescue organizations, trainers, so that they set the criteria. Um, I don't know why I started talking. Oh, yes. So, yes. So, PPG um, has a sister company that it works with mm -hmm. that, that offers those credentialing programs. But actually, as a membership organization, there is not a um, skill or competence requirement. And is that sister organization uh, the Dogsmith? No, it's the Pet Professional Accreditation Board, which, okay. which, is, which is part of the nonprofit setup of PPG. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, this is a, you have an umbrella organization that's doing literally, I can see you're trying to cover every aspect where there could be miscommunication or trying to replace an outdated system. You're doing a fantastic job. So you have the accreditation option available, which is fantastic. Yeah. You do have the dogsmith and you have dognostics that also kind of play into this in different levels. How do those two organizations compliment well the dogsmith was a when i first started as a trainer professionally full-time in 2005 or 6 that was the name of the company that i started the dogsmith and um coming from a corporate background and coming from a sort of quality control statistical analysis background i automatically just standardized everything even though it was just me had you know manuals for everything <laughs> And, um, and I, I met with a friend of mine who works in the franchise industry and he sort of was laughing and going, oh my God, you should franchise this. And, and, I, and I, to be honest, I'm not really a big fan of the franchising industry because I, I think it takes a lot and gives it a little back. But I, did, but I did want to expand the Dogsmith concept because I thought that as a business model, it was very easy for somebody else to come into it and just use the website, the tools, the applications that we've developed. Um, so the Dogsmith had its own educational side to that, which was the Dogsmith Education, which I put together over about four years. And then, and then we realized that we wanted to make that education available to other people. So we started a spin-off company called Dognostics. So Dognostics came out of Dogsmith. 
Okay. So, um, and then a few years ago, I asked Louise Stapleton Propel, who's a friend of mine in Spain and a really highly competent dog trainer, if she would join me. So Louise heads up our dog training certificate. So Dogsmith and Dognostics are my sort of two for-profit businesses. They're my businesses. Um, the Dogsmith is certainly my baby and um, our Dogsmiths uh, come first and foremost because they're part of my sort of direct organization. But, I, but I, when I realized that we had such a, a crisis in the US in terms of lack of transparency, lack of accountability, um, lack of competency in the dog training industry, I thought PPG as a nonprofit was going to be a much better vehicle for bringing people together and for trying to shape how our industry moves forwards. So, um, so PPG has multiple programs. It has a pet dog ambassador program, which is sort of on par with canine good citizen mm -hmm. through the AKC, but it's more about real life skills, not, I always laugh with my dogsmiths about how sort of, I'm probably going to insult somebody here, about how sort of dog and obedience is like having a broom up your backside. It's all very formal and very yeah. stiff. Yes. And that's, that's not, I mean, that's just not how I am with my dogs. I mean, I'm a goof. <laughs> my dogs, I don't have a problem with my dogs doing certain behaviors that some people would deem completely unacceptable. I don't mind my dogs climbing over my head yeah. in the yeah. part of the family. You, you will you allow your dogs to be dogs. I think is yeah, the best way to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 with that said, I mean, I have two dogs that I can leave in my house for extended periods of time that don't damage or chew. Or right. I mean, I, I've always just wanted to be a really good pet dog trainer and to help pet dogs live in homes with people. Um, I mean, I live on 25 acres, so I do do agility, and I have a schoolroom here. I do a lot of other stuff, but primarily they're my family. And if they choose to want to engage in those activities with me, then let's go have some fun. If they say no thanks, then yep. and the answer is no thanks. Um, anyway, so Pet Dog Ambassador is, was developed by one of our teams in Australia. It's a fabulous program because it's four levels and it takes you from puppy. But not only does it teach dogs, it teaches owners. Owners have their own guardian guide. They have to understand what positive reinforcement training is. They have to guarantee they'll take the dogs to the vet annually. They have to have them up to date on vaccinations. Um, so there's lots of other components to it as well, which is really nice. And then the credentialing board and then the shock free coalition, which our advocacy committee rolled out three years ago, we felt it warranted its own um, focus because it's such a huge, huge topic. It is. It, and so do all of these programs have international ties? Do you have a, a lot of people in other countries or how does that work? If we have a lot of uh, Mimercola subscribers on the Healthy Pet site right. are not US based, are there options in other countries? Well, Australia has a pet professional guild chapter. They have a great chapter over there that's headed up by Barbara Hoddle. Um, the British Isles has a PPG chapter that's headed up by Louise Stapleton Frappel. So, because we recognize that even though we're an international organization, things do are culturally different. Sure. You know, legislation's different, how, how people um, handle address pets, equipment that's available is different. So we, we didn't want to just sort of mandate this is who PPG is. We wanted other countries. Um, and we had, we've had people say from your Europe and said, well, can I start a PPG in Germany? And we said, well, but why? The Germans have some great associations doing what we do. It's not about us sort of having world domination of the pet dog industry. It's about trying to fill the need. Yeah. And if there isn't a need in Germany, we're going to tell people, go join this organization because they're doing exactly what we would want to do. And um, so hoping that all those organizations can, you know, sort of come together, work together. Yeah. And are you working with uh, humane societies or with rescue groups? I mean, is that something that I, I think about how 
the professional guild would tie in beautifully with veterinary medicine, but certainly yeah. with the crossover from homeless animals, is that something that just is work uh, on a one-on-one -on -one basis right yeah. now? Or? Uh, um, it's funny you say that because we're actually about to roll out a huge, huge program for the rescue world. Um, nice. Yeah, about three years ago, so, uh, Kelly Lee, who's um, a Jean Donaldson grad, um, she's, a, she's a doctorate in, I think it's zoology, who's based out in California. Kelly actually um, came to Arizona with me a few weeks ago when we were looking at the summit. Kelly approached me and said, would you be, you know, could we entice PPG to have a rescue and shelter committee? Because we had a feline committee, an equine committee. And, I, as I, and I, just, I sort of sat back and went, oh my God, why do we not have one of those? Because, the very first thing I ever did in this industry was work at a humane society. I mean, I, a friend of mine in Panama City asked me if I'd take over the Panama City Humane Society because they were doing really badly financially and she knew that I had a this sort of business background and I got pulled into that on a pro bono scenario and two years later I was still the president because I just, I was just so um, passionate. Good. You yeah. were good at it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I thought, well, good. Why don't we? So yes. Kelly Lee, so within like, about a week, Kelly Lee had this massive committee put together and Jean Donaldson oh. helped sponsor it. And um, we're actually about to roll out a massive, it won't be massive initially, but we're rolling out a brand new website with brand new branding. It's actually going to be called, should I tell you guys? Yeah. Um, you're first to hear this. It's going to be called the Pet Rescue Resource. Um, so it's going to basically be, um, it's, we're going to build a massive tool that will be, be available free of charge resources for oh. targeted towards fosters, adopters, rescues, cats, dogs, birds, whatever. And we're rolling out the first two protocols. One is a jumpy mouthy dog protocol and the second one is a dog playgroup protocol. Which will, which will be like complete toolkits. So a shelter can take it and it will have SOPs and guidelines and videos and handouts so they can then implement it into their organization. So we've been working on that for the last two years. So that's my gosh. Out. Probably in about four weeks we'll be rolling that. I'm, I'm actually working behind the scenes right now on a marketing campaign to roll that out. So yeah, so we are, we're very, very passionate. Um, and one of the reasons we're going to Arizona is because we've made friends. Oh, the Arizona Humane Society, what an amazing organization they are. Um, yes. I went there um, in early December to finalize our summit. And I've got to tell you, I was so impressed with what they're doing out there. I mean, they're just, I'm just fabulous people. Yeah. So our summit is going to feature four days of lectures and general sessions, but we're also going to do off-site, on-site workshops at the Arizona Humane Society every day. So wonderful. Like every hair on my body stands up. I came out of uh, humane work and right. that's certainly the foundation of who I am and and I think that those animals need this more yeah, than absolutely. the well well loved well homed animals they they need this ex exceptionally yeah. as well but yeah. animals that have been through the ringer that that potentially yeah. come home with some emotional or physical damage mm -hmm. they the programs that you are putting in place will literally be life-changing for these animals. You, you know, it's, it, it's, it's funny, you know, I find it, um, and, I, and the last thing I'm going to get involved in is conversations between no kill and kill and low kill. Yeah, one of course. The, you know, one of the things I learned when I was the president of the um, Bay County Humane Society is that, um, first of all, we, we was considered no kill, but I actually changed it to low kill because I felt as a nonprofit, when you're going out into the community and asking them to support you and give you money, you've got to be a hundred percent transparent about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And animals that are, um, as you know, need euthanizing. That's the fact that, you know, you, ha you can't allow a pet to live in to suffer. Pain and agony and suffering. Right. Yeah. Um, and secondly, that 
you know, these types of organizations need to be able to prepare these dogs for the right homes and hopefully prevent them coming back through that sort of um, revolving door. So, I I mean, personally, I think that for the welfare of an animal, and I know, and this is a really broad statement because I know that the resources are so limited, but it just doesn't make sense to me that as an organization that's saving animals, you don't put as much focus on behavioral well-being as physical. My I mean, gosh. I mean, the two just absolutely have to go hand in hand. And PPG, and this is, um, I always talk out of school when I come on um, things like this because I'm always so excited to share with people what we're doing. But PPG is really committed, and it's going to be one of, we're working on our um, strategic plan for the next 12 months, is really committed next year to working with a humane organization and to putting together a scholarship stroke, sponsorship stroke, mentoring program so that our PPG members have the ability to rotate through that with a rescue facility so that we can help escalate the level of skill competence, competency knowledge in our industry while we also help animals and support humane societies in doing that. So that for me will be one of the programs that I will personally be championing in the next couple of years because I think it's just so crucial. Um, with the help of you know, Dr. Lisa Gunter and um, Kelly Lee, just two fabulous ladies, we've sort of started having some very high-level, what-if scenario type yeah. conversations. But one of the things that I really enjoy doing is taking those, oh my God, what-if, and saying, well, let's not what-if it, let's if it, let's get it done. So um, I'm really hoping that next year we can sort of move and shake how we help interact and work with the rescue community. And our advocacy committee is also working on goals and the Shock Free Coalition to try to find a way as to how we can partner more effectively with the veterinarian community. Because it takes a village. Yes, it, takes it, a village it, it, it does. It does. And there are two things that you are so good at that are so inspiring, but also so healing. Mm-hmm for the animal community. You're really good at taking a vision or a dream and turning it into an action-based plan, which is fantastic. Very few people can do that, but you're also doing a magnificent job of covering every avenue, like the veterinary relationships and the homeless animal situation. You're doing a fantastic job. And I think you have, you have equine program as well. You're including other species. So I am so inspired by everything that you are doing and, really? and, and I, oh i'm so yeah. excited and however i could be of service to help you get the word out i am here Hi. um and and willing and very able to help you as much as i can help I'm people understand all of the tools and resources that you have so talk to me about where if people want to learn more or if they want to find a pet professional that has similar philosophies where do people go to learn more nikki all right, well, if they go to uh, petprofessionalguild.com, there's lots of free educational resources on there. There's a member directory so that they can find local members um, and they can get involved. And you can also join PPG. We have a supporter membership level as well because there are people in our industry that are not drug trainers or pet care professionals that yeah. they want to support. So you can also support. And if you join the organization, don't be afraid to step forwards. Um, you know, when we get criticism from other people outside the organization, the, my sort of common statement is, well, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're criticizing something, I, I assume it's because you have some type of emotional investment. If you have an emotional investment, join us and then help change it from the inside. Join a volunteer committee, get involved, rather than just critiquing from the outside or critiquing from the inside. Because we have, you know, fortunately for me, I'm the one that gets all the credit because I'm the sort of face of PPG. I never wanted to be the face of PPG because, to be honest with you, I would quite happily just not be the face of anything and just sort of live my life. I mean, I'm happy to work on all this stuff. But I don't need to be the one out there. 
Um, but there are so many people, I mean, our steering committee is an example. I mean, most of our steering committee members have been on board for years. It's a really cohesive group. And we bring new members in all the time and they always say it's really easy to slot into it, which is a leader I love to hear because it means that we're very accepting to outside opinions and we value team members. It's not sort of a group think environment where if you're not one of the crowd, then you're going to be, um, you're not going to sort of have any, feel you have any value. And just so many volunteers on the feline committee and the canine committee and the advocacy committee. My little dog just wandered past the I see, I see you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's so many people involved on a committee level that just are working diligently every day. I mean, I, you know, I realized when I started PPG that, I mean, I'm very fortunate because um, I was able to leave a corporate job that paid me a nice salary. My husband had retired early, so we were very, we were, we were secure. Um, so I was very fortunate when PPG took off, I was able to invest the majority of my time there and not worry about having to put bread on my table. Yep. But I also recognize and I'm really grateful for the um, hundreds of people that work around me that still have full-time jobs and yet still take time out of their day every day to either attend a meeting or volunteer. And that for me is really difficult for them. And I, I mean, I can't, I, if I don't tell them often enough, then um, just, just we couldn't do it without them. I mean... Yeah. You know, they're, just, they're, they're so important in, in everything we do on a daily basis. And that's, but, and Nikki, that's a direct reflection yeah. of people that are working their full-time jobs, but are still so passionate about all yeah. of these incredibly yeah. important initiatives. Yeah. That's a reflection of how important these initiatives are to everyone and how needed right. they are. They're just, there's yeah. nothing out there. So you moving all of these things forward cohesively, um, the next generation of pets, it will benefit from this immeasurably so for that we are all yeah. very thankful that you have done this set up this yeah. massive platform uh, in an attempt to change for the better people's relationships with the animals that they are caring for yeah it's yeah. amazing and I'm always, I'm always very grateful when people say thank you, but I, I'm also intelligent enough to recognize that I get a lot of intrinsic satisfaction from what I do and um, I mean you know, obviously thank yous are always appreciated, but for me the, the real satisfaction is, and I look at my dogs crashed on my bed at night or on the sofa, and I, and I just wish that every other pet animal could live, live. a life like that. Yep. Um, and not just where they're not outside or they're part of the family, but, but they don't live in fear of being yeah. screamed at or kicked or yep. treated roughly. Yep. So, yeah. Well, excellent goals. I am anxious to check in with you in a year or two and see what new initiatives, you know, with evolution comes the need for yeah. more evolution. So this will be an ongoing, yeah. building, evolving process that I'm really excited to keep tabs on. Thank you and, for joining uh, me today. You're so welcome. And if you can think of any way or how that we can better partner with um, the veterinarian industry, then please do not hesitate to guide us or push us okay I, I i like that i will we'll be in touch about that <laughs> thank you thank you thank nikki you. thank you it was lovely being here